Jesus said the love of many will wax cold in the last days. The people's love will begin to diminish. It will grow cold. And we've witnessed since the advent of social media, a 40% drop in empathy among young adults. That's a huge decline in people's concern, compassion for others. In, in an age where people speak of this a lot and you know how we can care for, for others, but it, it's, it's all talk. It's, when you actually analyze people's empathy levels and their feeling for others, Jesus said it, love will wax cold. I never knew it would be media that would cause it, but that's, that's, that's been the big thing is a drop in empathy, 40% among young adults. It is clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that online media is taking over our lives. Many of us today view our smartphones as an extension of our brain that we cannot live without. We eat with it, sleep with it, and take it with us wherever we go. We are more connected than ever, or are we? Could the digital connection actually be a counterfeit to the real human face-to-face interactions we were actually created for? Could there be unintended consequences to the technical revolution that we were unprepared for as we embraced it? Are we now living in the midst of a collective media addiction that is reshaping our society, our churches, and even our families into something unrecognizable to previous generations? And if so, what do we do about it? In this episode, I had the privilege to interview Belt of Truth Ministries Director Scott Ritzma about how media is directly affecting our mental, emotional, and physical health as a society, and particularly for those who self-identify as Christians. We especially talk about how media is affecting the upbringing of an entire generation of young people who have lived their lives entirely in front of screens. For those of you who don't know, Scott Ritzma is an educator, writer, and speaker with passion for present truth. Scott recently left the teaching profession to pursue full-time ministry. He currently presents seminar material to churches and other gatherings on topics such as media, parenting, education, and sexuality. His seminars have been featured on a number of GYC and ASI conventions, as well as satellite TV and radio, both inside and outside the church. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. I caught up with him as he was preparing to come visit my church in Daytona Beach for a weekend seminar. Scott, well, so great having you on the podcast today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored by the Lord of hosts, as you are. Aren't we alive in the land of the living, walking with Jesus today? Amen. Yeah, man, I'm excited. You are coming down to Daytona Beach, which is my territory, this coming weekend. And uh, have you ever been down to Daytona before? No, not not been to Daytona. I've been I've done Florida, quite a few places in Florida. Daytona is uh, the next one on the list now. All right. Well, I know we are excited to have you here, and uh, you've uh, just finished up uh, GYC. And for those of you who don't know what that means, uh, what is it now? Generation of Youth for Christ. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, you uh, you interacted with a lot of people there. I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. There are thousands of young people and young adults that come out just for spiritual revival and reformation and to 
understand the mission and the message of this movement of God's last days people. So um, it was it was a delight to be associated with them, present a seminar on media to the to the uh, young people. Great, yeah, and uh, and what was the what is the latest thing you're working on? It's called the Media Mind. Uh, most people know our ministry through a previous seminar on media. Uh, that one was called Media on the Brain. Um, still as relevant as ever, but what I had the privilege to do at GYC and what I've, what I've been doing more, um, these days is a seminar called the media mind. So I guess that's two media seminars that are very important and talking about media use and how it impacts our social and spiritual and, and our, our everything in our, in the human experience from uh, family, child development, um, are we are we preparing ourselves and others for the soon return of Jesus? And and, and are we on a mission or are we simply uh, pleasure seeking in this degenerate hedonistic age? Mm, wow. And you come from a educational background, right? I mean, you used to be a teacher. Yeah, yeah. I, I taught history, government, economics for many years. Um, got excited about Bible truth uh, toward the tail end of my teaching career, and had the opportunity to teach Bible in the in the classroom. All of this was was high school age, and um, after that, I, I saw my students really struggling with media, uh, like addicted to it, video games, and and Christian families and students immersed in Hollywood entertainment and worldly music industry stuff. And that had me alarmed. And so I started to gather information to help them to break free from this and to understand the real trap of what it is. And that actually one thing led to another and pastors were asking me to preach these same things that I was teaching to my students. So now I had the pulpit and as a, as a layman, just sharing these things and um, local conference asked me to pre- present the seminar at, it was called media on the brain. And um, they said, do this at the camp meeting for us. And after that, the AV department of that camp meeting, one guy in particular named John, he said, Scott, you've got to get this recorded on DVD and start a ministry with this because the information is very needed and very powerful. And that led to going into ministry. So I'm not teaching anymore, doing seminars at churches like yours, Pastor Travis. So I'll be doing um, the Media on the Brain seminar at Daytona. Wow, that is amazing! And how many how many years have you been um, focused on this particular ministry now? It's been seven years since we started with the Media on the Brain seminar, and it's fun that seven years later we're doing the new media seminar, the Media Mind. So, um, yeah, I've been at this for seven years, full time for uh, about five years. Oh, right! Wow, and uh, you know, so you you obviously as you made this your full-time concentration, uh, you've probably had a lot of time to research and, and study um, what is happening to our society as a whole as a result of um, becoming kind of media-centric and especially in our social interactions with each other as we enter into 2020. So as we kind of kind of get into some of the you know, just digging into this concept or this topic of media, describe the effect media is having on our society and particularly um, that on the minds of children. Yeah, numerous effects, uh, particularly on the children. You nailed it. Child development is really under attack uh, by the enemy of souls. I mean, Satan is always up to some vicious attack. And so today, I mean, we could look at 
unborn life and, and, and babies and all of that issue with the Sixth Commandment. But even more so than that is the spiritual assault on childhood that Satan, Jesus said, do not fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the soul, right? So the soul, the spirit temple of these children, their brain, their mind is being impacted in dramatic ways, unprecedented ways, because of so much media use. Uh, it, a lot of it is just a deficit of parental interaction. When the screen becomes the babysitter, the screen itself is harmful, but maybe even more harmful than that in the research actually is what you're not getting when you're not interacting with mother, when you're not looking at faces, when you're not engaging in a conversation, when you're not being read to. And so literacy and verbal development is delayed. Mental health problems for children, actually media addiction for small children is, is transpiring. And then when you get to the teen years, we see anxiety through the roof, depression through the roof, ADHD. There was a 50% increase in ADHD in 10 years. There was a 60% increase in depression in just six years. And so you name it across the board, we're really struggling, not just on the academic and cognitive things like literacy and, and verbal skills, and not just the mental health, but also the social intelligence and the emotional intelligence of children is really lagging and lacking conversation skills and so on because of that lack of human contact. And so the, it's crazy that they have the funniest solutions that would be hilarious if it weren't so sad and depressing. But they say, since children are lacking in social and emotional intelligence, we need to in introduce social robots to tell preschoolers stories instead of human beings teaching them love and empathy and sociability and all these things. We're going to have now AI taking that place. Wow. So I've been talking a lot about how to be human again, and how, particularly with our children, how we do life in the home. So it's almost as if there's like this acceptance, uh, at least in some of our society, or maybe even a embrace of this kind of antisocial movement. So um, why do you think that is? Why do you think that there's this kind of almost denial? Um, you know, maybe there are some people who are crying out and telling, you know, warning, send, sounding the warning cry like yourself. But for, for the most part, why, why do you think, you know, as a society, we're in denial of the, the effect that this is having on us? We're addicted. The vast majority. George Barna found in his research eight years ago, it, he used the diagnostic criteria for addiction, and he did surveys of the American population to see how much of us would qualify for an addiction to our favorite media device or, or technology, entertainment, you name it. Uh, the biggest thing is the entertainment media. He was dealing mostly with that at that time. Social media is a bigger issue now than when he was doing his surveys. But the results of his survey were the majority of Americans qualify according to the American Psychiatric Association's diagnostic criteria for what qualifies as an addiction, the majority of us would be addicted to our, our media we can't live without. And so you're not going to be objective when, when, when you're so in love with and addicted to media. It's very difficult to be honest about where we're at and where our children are at. And we look at our kids and most people are like, oh yeah, my kid's addicted to his smartphone. 47% of parents say, yeah, my teenager's addicted to their smartphone because teens are doing nine hours per day of entertainment and social media. It's through the roof. It's catastrophic. Wow. Uh, but parents are doing almost eight hours. <laughs> so they're only one hour, a little over one hour under the teens. The teens are doing nine hours per day of entertainment and social media. 
parents are doing almost eight hours of entertainment and social media. And so you ask parents, do you think you're addicted to your smartphone or just your teens? Only 32% of parents say, oh, I have a problem with it. So we're, we're, we're all struggling. We won't acknowledge and face it and look at the mirror. And so that's why society at, at, as, as a whole is struggling to come to terms with this. I mean, you look at like the, the responsible people, the American Academy of Pediatrics and the George Barnas and the researchers and the, the academic people, the neuroscientists, the addiction recovery people, they're all sounding the alarm. But it's it's not catching on in the in the mainstream where it's starting to have an impact in people's lives. People are getting more and more addicted with each passing year. You know, Pastor Travis, I thought I'd, I'd stop doing media seminars after a couple of years because it was getting so crazy that I thought there's no way this could get any any more nutso on us with the numbers. And it's like. 45% of teens say I'm almost constantly on my device. So we can basically stop charting the, the numbers of hours and it's becoming an ever present thing. And the world health organization calls it an addiction, media addiction, the American uh, psychiatric association with their diagnostic and statistic manual, they qualify media addictions. So it's a very, very real thing. And we're, we're, uh, it's time for a wake up call. So the percentage of Americans that were spending five hours or more, on screen time per day, that doubled between 2012 and 2016. So in 2016, I was like, okay, it's time. People need to be freed from media addiction, find the joy and peace in Jesus and restore the family. I'm not done talking about media because it, the problem has doubled in four years from when I started to 2016. So here we are. Wow. And and so, you know, obviously there's lots of different types of media, you know, I mean, you know, just a basic... Um, definition of media it could even include print media, right? It could even right, include, right. <laughs> you know, you know, radio, television. It's it's obviously the internet. It's obviously social yeah. media. It's uh, it's movies. You know, so what? You know, I mean, obviously, there's a broad, you know, swath of of, of media out there. Um, but in your research, and particularly, you know, just. Um, you know, and especially as as it relates to, to spirituality and, and how this affects our spirituality, what types of media personally concern you the most? You know, I love that you asked that question because we're doing a podcast now, right? And our ministry puts out DVDs and I'm on satellite media and I love the fact that we can use this tool. And so we do need to make that distinction between media that is spiritually harmful and that can be harmful to mental health and social health and, and it, versus the media that ought to be used as a tool to to reach people and, and free them from problematic media. So, you know, it's it's no coincidence to me that 1844 is a biblically prophetic year. If you study carefully Daniel chapter 7, 8, and 9, you actually come to the year 1844, you know, 170 years ago or so, as, as, a, as a key point that ushers in a final period of Earth's history, the, the sanctuary of, of, of heaven being cleansed, so to speak. I'm getting into little theological things there, but um, maybe you'll have podcasts on that. Oh, yeah. I'll, we, le I'll leave that. But <laughs> right do. now, we're in the last days, right? Yes. And that sort of began in 1844. Um, 1844 was when the first modern technological um, electronic media was, was, was founded. And that surprises some people. They're like, what are you talking about, Scott? Like the television wasn't until the 1940s, the late 40s and into the 50s when that was really becoming a thing. And radio was a few decades before that. And the silver screen was, you know, this is all 20th century, right? 
1900s, right? 1844 was when the telegraph was invented. And that was the first time human beings communicated across distance instantaneously, simultaneously. And you got the first text message in the history of the world being sent over the wire in 1844. And you know what the words were? Samuel Morse texted, what hath God wrought? Numbers 23, verse 23. So media is a tool and a device invented by human beings who have creative power by the creator. And God foresaw that a movement would need to take place that could that could reach the world with the everlasting gospel. As Jesus said in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will go to every nation and then the end shall come. So we can use these tools. I just want to say that emphatically because sometimes people get the wrong idea, like anything with a screen is bad. A podcast is evil. No, 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 no. Let's redeem these tools and use them as you're doing with your podcast. So the worldly media is a whole nother story, though. That's the question you asked. It's like, okay, what kinds of media are especially problematic here? On a spiritual level, when you look at Hollywood as, as an industry and you look at the music industry and you look at the video game industry, these are diabolical schemes. And I'm going to use strong language here that people will just have to view my seminars to really get the evidence and basis for it that we can't get into in great length. But I'll make a claim that's going to sound pretty high and heavy. People got to research it for themselves. Diabolical schemes to insert spiritualism, occult actions, and worldly uh, principles that are contrary to the kingdom of God, contrary to any semblance of decency, morality, family values, biblical virtues, and the commandments of God. So it's an anti-God, satanic insinuation into the homes of Christians. And so when I when I use that strong language to describe the entertainment industry, it's not with opinion or just like conjecture. I, I We could get into some of the, the evidence and facts. I mean, it's pretty mind-boggling stuff. And anyway, the, the, the entertainment industry is my biggest concern when it comes to the spiritual. Mm. When it comes to family dynamics, social dynamics, mental health, sometimes we're using good media. Like, is there any sin with social media and using a Facebook account to do good things and bless others and stay in touch with people? No, there's no sin in that. But it also can become an addiction and it harms mental health. And we could get into that as well. I kind of opened up two doors. I don't know if you want to walk through those or if you have other things, but that's kind of a, this, the skinny answer on, on your question. Yeah, no, th- those are two important topics. And I think, uh, you know, particularly, you know, if we just kind of go back to your first point about the the occult um, kind of really just the onslaught of the occult that is being projected into our ears and, and into our brains through our eyes um, through through these different avenues. Um, you know, just what what in particular, let's just take let's just take movies, for instance. Um, I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but my my guess is that a Christian could watch that and say, well, I know the truth, so this doesn't affect me. Why would that yeah. not be true in your opinion? Oh, that's a great question because I used to say that. You know, I was a teenager and I loved the world and I played in a punk rock band and I wanted to watch all the Hollywood movies and listen to all the worldly music. And I used to say, because I grew up in a Christian environment, I'd be like, oh, you know, it's not affecting my my character. It's not affecting me because, look, I'm not going out and killing anybody. 
I'm not going out and committing adultery, um, but I'm viewing it. 200,000 acts of violence by the age of 18. 79,500 sexual scenes in entertainment that are viewed by the average young person by the age of 18. And I'm going, oh, I can watch this stuff and it's not going to affect me. Well, time out. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, it's not just whether you go out and do it. You have heard that it was said, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. But he says, I say to you, I'm, I'm raising the bar. It, it's, it's even if you're in your heart, you, you have lust or if you have hate. And so it's our thoughts and what we are viewing, you know, we, what we put in our eyes, we put in our brain. And when we are viewing the things of the world, that's, that's violence and that's adulterous things, lustful things, we are participating in that. You cannot be watching these things and, and not affected by them. It's impacting your mind. They actually did a study on this with, with monkeys, and they looked at the monkey's brain while the monkey was doing various things like eating peanuts, and they, they, they got a monkey brain scan while he ate peanuts, and then they moved the, the, the peanuts over to the other side of the room, and just the scientist was eating the peanuts, and the monkey was watching the peanuts being eaten while, while, the, while the brain scan is still happening, but they're on a break, and they noticed that the brain scan of the monkey's brain while he's watching peanuts being eaten is the exact same brain scan as the monkey's brain while he was, while he was eating them. Mm. So whatever we see with our eyes is taken into the brain as if we are doing it ourselves. They call it mirror neurons. We identify with what we see around us. It's empathy, right? I mean, that's God's gift to us. So when we see somebody else hurting, we, we, we have compassion for them. When we see somebody else in, with joy, we, we share their joy. We enter into the experience of others, but we abuse that system. When we assault our brains with every worldly thing that is displeasing to God that Jesus would have nothing to do with. And it takes it to a whole new level when we know that the, the industry itself, these actors, these screenwriters are, are in many cases receiving the script from seances. The actors themselves are going on their knees before the, what they call I got on my knees before the spirits. That, that's a quote from Denzel Washington. He was asked, how did you act so powerfully in that scene in the movie Glory? Uh, he did this powerful scene. He was this super in-charge guy, they said. And, and they said, how did you do it? He, well, basically what I did is a direct quote. Basically what I get, did was I got on my knees and sort of communicated with the spirits. And when I came out, I was in charge, but I couldn't have acted that. I couldn't have made a decision to play that, that scene. So that's just one example of many where they admit that they are communicating with spirit entities, what the Bible calls devils or demons, to receive the power, the influence. A number of them say that they are filled, they are, they are inhabited, that they are possessed by these spirits, and that that empowers their acting. And you might say, well, okay, how many of that? Is this everybody? And we don't, of course, know the spiritual proclivities of every entertainer and every musician, but we have enough of them on record. And I've got, I've got seven or eight uh, actors, maybe 15 or 20 musicians admitting and bragging about that they do this. And then the key quote for me that sealed it for me when I was coming out of the world, okay, how much Hollywood entertainment should I consume? Because it's not all evil. I'm sure there's decent people in there. Sometimes they put out good stuff. But when I heard the actress Feruza Balk, and she was acting in the movie called The Craft, it's about witchcraft. And the, the media, the interview, the, the, the news media asked her about witchcraft in Hollywood. They said, this is a real thing, isn't it? How much of the entertainment industry people are practicing the occult, practicing witchcraft? And her answer was, quote, 
a lot of us who don't mention their names, of course, are very much into this. End quote. And I said, okay, that's enough for me. She's an insider. She knows a lot of them are into it. It's not just a handful of examples. Even if it was just a handful, I'm not going to play Russian roulette for my soul and bring this into my home. Because when you bring that stuff into your home, you're advertising to, to this spiritual controversy between angels and demons. You're like, hey, uh, we're open for business. We like the evil side. Come on in. No, I say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's just the actors. I didn't even speak of the musicians. Right. And, man, you know, it, it's just so pervasive, though, in our society, you know, that, um, you know, when you do decide to to cut yourself off from that, uh, you, you, you kind of become an exile in a certain sense, which is probably not a bad thing. But that's how prevalent, especially with children, I can remember, you know, that most of our conversations, you know, in especially in high school and, and college, uh, were centered around, you know, discussing, you know, these these types of movies and, and these types yep. of, um, you know, media presentations that, that we watched and then we talk about it and it would kind of just uh, consume our lives. And, and so I, I would imagine, you know, that's even more so today. And, uh, and so, you know, how does this like affect, you know, cause someone would be like, well, I mean, okay, maybe, I mean, I'm not totally buying everything you're saying here. You know, what would you say, like, does, does this actually affect our health? I mean, is there like physical, emotional, mental things that, you know, does, you know, just take, you know, maybe someone who's not even Christian, but they can just evaluate how this is affecting us. I mean, have you discovered anything about how media uh, addiction is affecting our health? Yes. I'm glad you turned it to that because a lot of people are like, what in the world? Like demons and angels and everything. And, and there's a lot of info on that in media on the brain. What I tried to do with the media mind is do more of that scientific health approach, um, family, social life, and things that are you know in research papers and all of that for people who, who aren't as inclined to understand some of that other stuff that I was going into. And because this is accessible for everybody. But what the research is showing about the social media's impact on people across the board, on average, you, you see correlating factors and not just correlation, but causation, increased social media, you're getting higher anxiety levels, higher depression, higher loneliness, ironically, right? I mean, we're the most socially connected generation in history, right? Why are we the most lonely generation in history? Why did the Surgeon General of the United States come out and say, we have a loneliness epidemic in this country? And it's through the roof. And I could give you all the, all the data. It's all in, in the media minds. But all those numbers go up with more social media use. And they, they've isolated causation there with teens, with young adults. They've also shown reducing social media for one week. And guess what? It, loneliness drops. 36%, depression drops, 33%, and just one week without social media or reducing social media to, thir to, to 30 minutes a day. And it's not equally distributed. Some people are more harmed mentally with mental health. Some people are more harmed using social media. Others are less harmed. And so, you know, gauge, gauge it for yourself. Uh, you know, certain people have more uh, insecure, fragile personalities or whatever, which interestingly, the, the social media giants brag about how they can exploit that. That's what Sean Parker said, the founding president of Facebook. He said, we were deliberately exploiting vulnerabilities in human psychology. He said, we were giving them a dopamine hit to keep them on the platform. And we knew what we were doing 
He's speaking of himself, Mark Zuckerberg, Kevin Systrom, all these founders. He says, we knew exactly what we were doing and we did it anyway. And God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. These are direct quotes where he's apologizing. He's feeling horrible about what they've done. Another Facebook engineer, I'm sorry, executive named Chamath, he came out in an interview around the same time as Sean Parker. And he said, you don't realize it, but you are being programmed. And by the way, that's another thing that's in media on the brain is the social engineering agenda. Uh, it's not just the spiritual for some people who are like, OK, I'm not religious. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hear you out on, on the other things, though. Listen to what it, it says in media on the brain about the history of social engineering through the through the media, through the entertainment industry, through the news, through the now social media. It's unbelievable. Eye opening their own quotes, bragging about their aims and agendas. Chalmers goes, you don't realize it, but you are being programmed. He said, we are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. I mean, when people spend four times more time on social media than true socializing, we're going to end up with a, a loneliness epidemic. And suicide rates are through the roof. 10 to 12, there are 12 to 14 year old girls had a suicide rate that went up threefold. And I'm like, what? How did that happen in such a short period of time? And I mentioned the ADHD and the depression and the, the, the dramatic leaps in those in such a short, short period of time, because some people are especially harmed by bullying and comparing themselves to people online, just feeling like they don't measure up. And the social media has exploited that, as Sean Parker said, that was his word. Um, also, Facebook was busted with some leaked documents out of Australia where they were bragging to advertisers saying, we actually can read and identify the emotional state of our young users, and we can figure out when they're especially feeling vulnerable or insecure, and that's when you target them with your advertising. What a what a what a shameful thing, right? I mean, that's just that's just evil and just mean. But um, that's the world we live in, and so one thing that people can do to test their own their own gauge their own. Um, you know, is the proclivities? Is this going to be something that that affects me in a in a more in a bigger way or a less way? Is 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 ask yourself: Do I often compare myself with others? Do I feel that my friends have a better life than me? And questions like this have been used in surveys to find that people who answer yes to those questions, they uh, they have a worse time with social media. And so you break free from that, and you find yourself not addicted. You find yourself happier. And so I know a number of people just gave it up. And they'll text, you know, they'll, they'll use the, the, their phone and stuff, but they're not on the social media all the time or they limit it down to 30 minutes a day. And it, it really brings blessings like you show, like it shows in the research and the studies. Right. Yeah. And, and so you, you're having, you know, this kind of complete, you mentioned it, you know, kind of social engineering. Our, our, our society um, is drastically changing. I mean, it's been changing, like you mentioned, since 1844. Um, but it just seems to the speed of change, the speed of, of the social um, drift away from the, the values that, you know, established this country to begin with. Um, you know, we're, we're just kind of moving away from that and, and moving in a direction that a lot of people don't realize that it's heading. But the Bible does tell us where we're going. <laughs> And, yeah. and this is why, you know, and I think this is the root of what you're doing. And I know it's what I'm trying to do with this podcast here is to kind of, hey, there is an end coming. Jesus is coming soon. So so we, what Bible passages have you found that are particularly relevant to to kind of what's happening around us right now? 
you know, speaking in social media, it's amazing. Jesus said the love of many will wax cold in the last days. People's love will begin to diminish. It will grow cold. And we've witnessed since the advent of social media a 40% drop in empathy among young adults. That's a huge decline in people's concern, compassion for others. In, in an age where people speak of this a lot and you know how we can care for, for others, but it, it's, it's all talk. When you actually analyze people's empathy levels and their feeling for others, Jesus said it. Love will wax cold. I never knew it would be media that would cause it, but that's 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 been the big thing is a drop in empathy, 40% among young adults. Another thing, too, that's a sign of the times from the Bible, Jesus said that in the last days, the family would be under attack. He said it would be like two against three and three against two in the home, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household, and that was in Matthew 24. Both of those passages were in Matthew 24, the love of many will wax cold, um, Luke 12 gives that specific two against three and three against two. Um, it's Jesus, uh, what's called the little apocalypse, his Olivet Discourse, where he's speaking about the last days. And he says, the family is really going to be struggling there. Paul says the same thing in Second Timothy chapter three. He says, people will lose natural affections, like normal love that, that you don't even have to be a Christian. Like we all kind of have a natural inclination to love our children, right? And right. love your baby. And even those kind of things are going to be diminished. And it says in that same chapter in Second Timothy chapter 3, it says that um, disobedience to parents will be coming. So you start to get rebellion. You start to get a fractured home. I mean, you got two against three, three against two. And everybody's in their own little cave, in their own room, on their own screens. And we hardly talk to each other. And it's to the point where parents are now spending twice as much time just watching Netflix than all quality time with their children combined. And kids are spending twice as much time on their phones than all quality time with their parents. And kids aren't getting outdoors. Uh, the average 11-year-old has never climbed a tree before. I've never, I couldn't believe I'd, I'd see the day that that would take place. We put our babies in these devices. The majority of parents have zero interaction with their children at all when their children are on their devices, ages ages uh, toddler through, through, through three to five. Zero interaction with their children at all, according to studies, uh, when their kids are on their devices. So, yeah. The Bible prophecies are being fulfilled in a major way on, on the on the sad and tragic and dark side of things. But there's another prophecy in Malachi. The very last verse of the Old Testament says that the hearts of the children and the hearts of the fathers will be turned toward each other again just before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's a reference to Jesus' coming in the clouds of heaven. And this had an application to his first coming as well, but even more so. Just before the second coming, which is right now, we can actually be a part of fulfilling the hearts of the children and the hearts of the fathers will turn toward each other again. So this is the antidote. This is the solution. This is the hope. We sometimes think of the last days as so ominous. And indeed, there's wars and rumors of wars and there's earthquakes and famines and all these things. You can look at the data. They're all increasing over time, just like birth pangs, as Jesus said. But the, the hope and the, the positive fulfillment, we can take action and fulfill the one that says, and this gospel of the kingdom will go as a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. We can take action to witness, to be compassionate for the hurting, to the lost, to the neglected children in our own homes, and our hearts can turn to them again. Yeah, and that's that's really encouraging because I think, you know, when, when we think about being ready for Jesus, you know, there there's a, it's not just you know, yes, we want individually, we're responsible for ourselves, but it's not just going to be 
um, one person, two people that are that are ready for Jesus. There's going to be a, a group of people. There's going to be a movement of people who um, are are totally united, not just with God, but with, but with with each other. And I think that's what, kind of what you're describing here is that that true um, emotional, the true um, human connection um, is going to be, um, restored. And, Amen. uh, and so, you know, kind of navigating through that is, is a big challenge for, for a lot of people who are trying to say, Hey, I want to be ready for Jesus. So, so if you were saying, you know, how do we, you know, just, just some, a little bit of advice now, you've given us a lot of, of good data and, and good references. Um, but you know, if someone's saying, you know, I really do want to be ready for Jesus, you know, how can we be ready for Jesus with our media choices? Like, what would you say to someone who says, you know, like you were saying before, we don't need to like say, hey, all media is is evil because it can be used to to spread the gospel as well. So so what would you say to someone, you know, that that uh, is saying, I want to be ready for Jesus? How, what would you say to them about their media choices? The awesome question is like the question that is the operative question because we're all in this time in Earth's history anticipating this great event and wanting to be ready and wanting to get others ready. And so, um, you know, the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. And so I want to have a heart check in my prayer closet and take this to the Lord and be like, all right, do I have a problem with media addiction? Am I so tied to something that I couldn't give that up? Well, that, that can be an idol in my life. And, and if I'm serving another master, um, that's not the state I want when I'm going into the final events. I want to make sure that I'm not loving the world. I mean, if, if, I, if I have an attraction and I am consuming by the world, I mean immorality, um, profanity, obscenity, things that are not true and noble and right and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. If I'm doing anything but pondering those things, I need to break free from that. And God will give me the strength. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But I have to be honest enough to say, Jesus would not be watching that or listening to that. And he doesn't want me to either. And yeah, you said it's going to make you an exile. and People might say, you're extreme. What are you doing? It's not that bad. But I'll tell you, when the Bible says, come apart and be separate, saith the Lord, separate from the world, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's a, that's a, a Bible verse. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I want Jesus to receive me into heaven when he comes again. So right now I've got to be touching no unclean things. Zero. It's not like a little bit of worldly media. So I'm totally cutting every thread that has tied me to things of this world that are that are not of the principles of the kingdom of heaven, that are not godly, that are not Christ-centered. I'm done with all of them. And then am I addicted to anything that is that 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 might not be overtly worldly? It's just a silly, simple video game. It's not blood and gore and guts and violence and grand theft auto. But oh man, I just can't go without that. The best way to figure out if you're addicted to something is to take a break from it and 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 have that detox. And so pick something in your life to try a seven-day media fast from. And some people might be like, you know what? I'm fine. I don't consume things of the world. I'm not interested in R-rated trash and M-rated video games and, 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 and music industry immorality. I, I don't like those things. I'm a Christian and I'm good. So a lot of times we get in a rut and we're, we figure I'm good. 
But you know what? Jesus wants us to keep growing. Just like a plant, if a plant doesn't keep growing, it's dying. It's either growing or dying. There's no set stasis. There's no motionless state. We're either growing or dying. And so if I'm growing in Christ, that's a good sign. If I'm in a rut, that's not a good sign. And so trying something different. I use the analogy, Pastor Travis, where people come into my dad's uh, optometry office. My dad's an optometrist, and he checks people's eyes. Um, people come into the office going, hey, doc, you know, I can see fine, but I'm just on my annual checkup here. And he brings the thing in front of your eyes that, that you look through and he says, read the top line and you can read the top line just fine. But then you get to that third line and you're like, that, uh, that looks a little blurry. I can't read that one very well. And then he gives you different options like which one is clearer, one or two, um, two or three, right? And you go through that routine and you find out two is your clearest one. And then he breaks it to you. Two is is your new lenses, your new prescription. And you can actually see better than your natural vision, which that's one right there. That's your natural vision. And two, that's your new glasses. Wait, no, I don't need glasses. I'm seeing fine. Well, you didn't know that you had a slight blur in your vision until you tried something else out and experimented. God says, test me in these things and see if I don't open the floodgates of blessing upon you. And that's the thing. This isn't about just, I'm going to live a Christian life so I can have eternal life with Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus now so I can have joy in eternity. He wants to give us joy now. He wants to give us a better eyesight now. We go, eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things he has in store for us. Yes, heaven is going to be amazing. But he also says, I have right now for you the abundant life. And yes, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. But I'll tell you, your weeping will turn to joy. So we go through the detox. It's hard. And then at the end of that week, we're feeling better. Mental health is improved. We have greater joy. We don't have the addiction. And it's like, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I should have tried this a long time ago. What do you have to lose anyway, right? And so God says, I will satisfy the desire of every living thing, and I will withhold from you no good thing. So at the end of that fast, if it's no problem for us, he's going to put us right back into using that media tool to his glory. I don't think it's going to be video games. They're a giant waste of time, if I'm quite honest. I'll share my opinion on that. But you take that to the Lord. He's got his opinion with a capital O, and he'll lead every one of us on what our path is. It's definitely to not touch any unclean thing. And then each of us should ask, how much time should I be using social media? Should I at all? And how do I use these technologies in a way that protect my mental, physical, and spiritual and social health and prepare me for Jesus soon coming. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, what we need to hear. I mean, people, you know, they, they want to know, you know, how this will make my life better, you know, how this will, um, you know, because I think when you, you, you look at uh, the whole idea of heaven and to a large extent, it's abstract, right? I mean, we, we yeah. as Christians kind of say, oh, yeah, it's real, it's real, God's there, but well, nobody's ever seen it. I mean, unless you've been a prophet and had a vision or something like that. But for the most yeah. part, you know, it's a reality that is hidden to us. And even the spiritual world that I think you've referred to several times, uh, and I'm a big believer in, but even that to a certain degree is abstract because it is not something that we can, you know, necessarily see or touch. So, so you know, I think a lot of times people want to hear like a testimony. And I'm sure you've 
received many testimonies from people who have experienced uh, uh, that that incre- increased vision, the increased uh, awareness. You know, the 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 more closer bond within their family, the 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 more um, you know time to spend in God's word because they're not spending all their time on media. Um, and you know, but I was just thinking just from your own perspective, you know, that you, you kind of mentioned that this was something that you not just have taught, but you, it's a journey you've been on yourself. So, you know, just, just briefly, like how has this, you know, qualitatively improved your own life as you've learned this and put this into practice for yourself? I'll say this. When I pulled the bandaid off, that was a hard decision. It wasn't a hard decision in terms of knowing it's the right thing to do. Like it was clear. It's obvious. You know, if I want to, I can't serve two masters. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm either, I'm either in or I'm not, um, no lukewarm in this business. And so, um, when I was like, okay, there goes the movie, Hollywood movies. And I just like shut it off and ripped that bandit off. And I love the music industry, man. I played in a band, right. And I, I, I played the video games and I didn't get into the modern ones as much. I'm from the eighties and nineties. So I was playing like Mario and then Mortal Kombat and then kind of grew up and never got into the MMORPGs and all that, that are super addictive world of Warcraft and call of duty. But so I, I get the gamers, the gamers addiction. I get the music uh, fiends problem. Cause I'm you. Right. And so for me, when I, when I made the decision, it was in faith. I didn't actually know all the research that I know today about, you know, how much better mental health and joy and, you know, the positive benefits you derive from it. I just did it because God put it on my heart and convicted me that I had to do it. And when I, when I jumped over that fence, it's like, man, it's way better over here. I had more time, more energy, more, uh, less guilt because you're not doing things you know are wrong and can compromising, which is guilt is harmful to the brain when you just keep it around. I mean, God wants to resolve our guilt. He wants to say, I forgive you for your sins. Now, now go and sin no more. And then when a righteous man does fall seven times, the Bible says God's going to pick you right back up. So anyway, for me, I have more, I have more energy, more, you know, I can speak all day. It's like, I gave up eating bad and drinking caffeine and seeking entertainment. And I'm happier with more joy because you have a purpose in life. The purpose isn't pleasure seeking. Pleasure takes care of itself. When you live life God's way and live for God, and I'm not saying I'm perfect. Like I, you know, I'm the one that lives for God. I just saying when I made choices for me that I knew that I needed to make, it just, I, I had more joy, pleasure, happiness in life after sacrificing and surrendering the pleasure seeking. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> Satan, we, get, we get the idea that Satan is better at pleasure than God. Like, ooh, all the enticing things that Satan dangles out there. And ooh, that dude, that was fun. When I ate that, drank that, touched that, you know, slept with her, uh, watched that, drank, you know, you name it, listened to that. It's like all of that we think is the route to pleasure. It's, it's the route to depression and addiction. And Satan gives you a high followed by a crash. And then the next high is lower. It's diminished. And you need a greater dose of the drug, of the pleasure seeking, of the, of the media addiction. And it's just a, a route to to a downward cycle. God says, I want to free you from that. And I found that in my own life that God does free you from that. And it just he proves that he's better at pleasure in this life than Satan is because it's a, it's a sustained peace and joy. 
And it's not the wild highs and fluctuations and the restlessness of seeking and chasing after the wind, as Solomon called it. So, yeah, that's kind of my my story. And, you know, there's there's thousands of testimonies too. Uh, Dr. Victoria Dunkley has treated hundreds of people with various different um, mental health problems. And they come in, she gives them a media fast. She says 80% of her patients have the majority of their symptoms disappear after three weeks with no media, with no screen time. So it's like, this is verifiable and scientific and factual. But yeah, hearing somebody's personal story also kind of makes it more personal. So thank you for the opportunity to share that. Yeah, and I, I think that's... You know, because there is hope, right? I mean, there is, uh, you know, hope from, you know, whatever the debilitating effects that that media may have. And and people, like you said, it may be a conscious recognition. Someone may be listening and say, yeah, I I recognize myself there. I see the depression. I see the anxiety. I see the um, just the guilt and 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 these other aspects that come along when, um, you know, we're we're just not living the life that, that God had call, has called us to live. And, and really these things in the grand scheme of things are, are just distractions from, from finding what God really wants us to do. And, and that's why you, I think you've mentioned how diabolical it is because the devil is, is using these things to distract us and, and keep us from fulfilling our potential in Christ. And, um, and so just, I know you travel around, you, you pretty much probably travel most of the year and, and you get to talk to people you get to visit churches. You get to talk to young people. Um, I always like to conclude on on a high note. What what is what gives you hope? I mean, you mentioned that that text from Malachi, um, but which is a hopeful text. But but as you as you talk to people and and as you you work with people, and, and as we you know look toward that blessed hope uh, of Jesus soon coming, what in all this have uh, has has given you hope? The story I recently got from a lady named Anisha is is uh emblematic of so many stories that i've heard and then so many more that i've not heard her kids were really really struggling she her family was struggling they were they were immersed in media they were the 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 daughter was having journals where she would write out dark dark surmisings and musings that mother would read and just weep um she'd have outbursts that, that you never want to see out of a child. This child was afflicted. Um, the son was spent most of the time in detention in school. Um, husband and wife, I mean, there just wasn't harmony and unity and joy and peace in that home. She reached out to me desperate. She's just, okay, is it too late for my kids? I lost. And I said, God is still on the throne, Anisha. Jesus will give you the victory. And I gave her a specific practical game plan. I put her family on a media fast, complete and total media fast for three weeks. I said, as much time as you can spend outdoors, having as much fun as possible, take three weeks off of some cares and perplexities too, and have fun. If you can have the funds and the time, go on a on a vacation, go on a backpacking or camping or you name it, whatever, go to the zoo, build something, cook things, find a creative outlet, get a painting canvas out, get the musical instruments, you name it. Think broadly about the human experience and everything that it means to be a human. 
and as an image bearer of God and to find joy as small C creators and doers instead of just consumers of media. And the kids will have their mind off the media. It'll be a crazy withdrawal and hard for the first few days, but a weekend you'll start to notice. And she did. She emailed me weeks later and she said, Scott, you would not believe it. I said, oh, I will, but <laughs> she, she couldn't believe it. The kids have done a 180. The people at church said, what's into your kids? They've done a 150% turnaround. The teacher says, what's going on? Your son's not in depression anymore. The daughter is praying with the mother, no longer just out of a crisis and feeling out of control with your emotions, like you want to scream and break things. But her daughter is praying and wanting more of Jesus in her life and wanting to be baptized. And this story, just I, it just brings tears to my eyes, Pastor Travis, to know that that there are there are real people with deep dark dark struggles and there are real people with minor struggles that they don't even know they have until they try a different set of lenses and i've heard enough stories that 100% of the people that give an ear to what it is i'm trying to bring to their to their mind and the 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 studies and the information and the scriptures to try something different and i don't command people i just say give something a try and i've never heard somebody say you know i i i, I tried something out and really i want to go back to the old way <laughs> so give it a try and you'll find jesus said joy comes in the morning thanks for listening to this episode of adventology our goal in this podcast is for you to be ready for jesus and the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him. Knowing Jesus is everything. That is why we spent the time today talking about guarding the avenues of our soul with Scott Ritzma. But don't just take our word for it. Go study it out for yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com, where you can find the show notes and transcripts from all of our previous episodes. And don't forget to check out beltoftruthministries.org to check out the latest about what Scott is up to. Also, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Or better yet, leave a rating and review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from. Or look me up on Twitter or Facebook. Seriously, I would love to hear from you and your reactions to this episode. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together today. I look forward to seeing you back here again on our next episode. Until then, Maranatha.